Well, good evening and welcome everyone to the inaugural episode of Crucial Conversations, teaching you to think like a confessor. My name is Peter Slayton. I am your host this evening and joining me are Pastor Merritt Dembski over here and Pastor Peter Ill, and they will talk about where they're pastors of shortly. Uh, but first of all, Welcome. This this is the first show. We are excited to be doing this. And while I say we are teaching you to think like a confessor, we do not claim to have arrived at that point yet. We are along on this journey with you. And so we're excited to help you dig deep into scripture. Our first series that we're going to be doing is the large catechism. We got ours open right here. If you are following along at home, uh, we are primarily, when we're referencing page numbers, we are referencing the Concordia Lutheran Confessions Reader's Edition, second edition. That's the one we're working from. Tonight we're starting on page 351. If you are in the Grokmoot, that is where we are doing our reading plan. You can follow along with us on our daily reading plan. That is facebook.com slash groups slash the Grokmoot. So if you want to know as we are taking viewer questions, if we say, hey, here's a question from day one. Well, hey, that was in the Grokmoot where we're actually having these discussions and where our reading plan started and kind of where the idea for this show got going. So those are some of the details out of the way right at the beginning. And so Pastor Dembski, Pastor Ill, how about you uh, introduce yourself? Start with Pastor Dembski here. Where are you at? Merritt Dembski. I am one of the two pastors at Emanuel Lutheran Church in Waterloo, Illinois, which is just across the river from St. Louis. And uh, I graduated from Concordia Seminary in St. Louis in 2016. And um, let's see, I'm married with one child and uh, am sitting in my office to do this right now. Do we go more personal than that? Or like, is it <laughs> it's totally up to you. So I was hoping that Pastor Earl would go first, and then I'd have like a better idea and <laughs> what I should do. <laughs> well, that being said, Pastor Ill, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey, I am Peter Ill. I get to be pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church up in Millstadt, Illinois. I am also one of two pastors who gets to serve there. And I am sitting here in my home studio. I guess we also call that the dining room. Hence, food processor over here. <laughs> Crosses over there. I um, like the toaster. That's my favorite. Yay, toast. Everybody likes a good slice of toast. Um, <laughs> God has given me a wonderful gift in a wife. Um and uh, no kids yet, but get to do lots of fun and exciting things. Also, uh, let's see, uh, if we're going to be a little more personal, I like long walks on the beach, fishing and playing the tuba. Do those things count? Uh, uh, just don't try doing them all at once. Well, uh, the tuba and the fishing don't go well together. It scares <laughs> the fish. Pastor uh, Merritt, you got any uh, hobbies you want to tell us about real quick since we're apparently doing that now? <laughs> for, the, for the most part I, I follow movies more than anything i don't really read comics but i look up the history of comic book storylines and those kind of things um and sci uh, some sci-fi-ish kind of things but um that's that's where my hobbies lie if i if i've got nothing to do and i'm not studying something for church or theology in some way then I, uh, I'm usually on YouTube looking at like behind the scenes stuff of movies, or maybe you didn't know this about these movies, like that kind of stuff. So nice. I, I am unfortunately more fluent in film uh, dialogue than in other things that I should be fluent in. So. It, well, which is, which is a great segue to, into what we're doing here. Um, I think most of us find, uh, especially as, at newer Lutherans or Lutherans who are really excited about the confessions is one of the traps that we fall into is we often find ourselves really excited about the confessions, about what Luther says, about what church fathers say, uh, to the neglect of scripture itself and, and reading scripture. And I know this is very true for me. It's something that I've been working on, especially recently, to try and address. And on this show, that's one of the things we want to help you do. So the, the idea for what we're doing here is that we are going to go through the large catechism together. Like I said, if you are in the Grokmoot, that's where you can find the reading plan, where you can join us for daily discussions there on Facebook. But our goal isn't simply to 
work through the large catechism and comment on the catechism itself, but to really show how Luther got where he got in the catechism. Where, where does he find this in scripture? How he makes some genius moves. And, and as Lutherans, we agree that what is in the catechism does agree with scripture. And we want to actually see how that happens. Uh, but very often we fall into this, this trap of agreeing that it agrees with scripture without you know, taking the time to actually find out for ourselves, well, how does that work? So when we talk about thinking like a confessor, that's part of it. Uh, now, Peter, you actually are the, the one who came up with our, our tagline for this, teaching you to think like a confessor. Talk a little bit about that. How, how did you come up with that and what does that mean for us? Thinking like a confessor and talking like a confessor is is a process, and it ends up being kind of uh, time intensive. It's not something you just kind of discover and you say, "I'm there, I've arrived, I I know how it is, uh, and I have all the right answers." And so often, when we think about theology, when we think about teaching our friends and our neighbors about Jesus and about what the scriptures say and how they say it, we think, "Oh, it's just about the right answer," but it's not about the right answer in and of itself. It is about the right answer. The right answer is Jesus, sure. But how do we get there? And how do we think in this kind of confessional way of, of talking confessionally? It's one thing to say, I give the answer that the confessions give. It's another thing, though, to say, I think the way that the confessions think. And I know that there might be some who will hear that and they'll think, oh, wait, 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 whoa, this is a really dangerous, scary idea because when I think about people who think how the confessions work and how they think, they might think of some church bodies that say they think that way, but end up thinking not confessionally at all. Instead, they end up thinking, well, completely differently than the confessions. Our goal is to read the confessions and not just see what the answers are, but how are they getting the answers? How are they moving through these, these discussions? Uh, so that when we are talking with our family members, our friends, our neighbors, our brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, whoever we get to talk to, we get to speak as confessional people. We get to confess the faith in Jesus Christ but we don't do that in a uh, rote, here's the answer and you have to believe it kind of a way. Or else. Or else. <laughs> yeah. uh, we simply get to say, no, 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 think with me. Engage in this, in this conversation because theology isn't about having right answers. It's about having a conversation about Jesus. We're called to be witnesses of Jesus, of his life, of his death of his resurrection. And so it's a whole new way of thinking and a way of being, not just a pattern of right answers. Pastor Dembski, give us your thoughts on that. It's, it's just a matter of being honest, really. I mean, um, I, I think I said this uh, somewhere else, but when we have the book of Concord and we have the, the, uh, the small catechism and stuff, we're just saying, here's what I believe. You know, I mean, that's, that's what we're saying. Here's what we believe. And then as, as uh, Pastor Earl was saying, uh, the conversation of how we get there. And so oftentimes there's a kind of this, uh, um, what would you call it? Um, you, uh, I can't think of the phrase, but um, that you'd say, you can either know what you're talking about or live it. You know, like either you're loving people or you're really deep in the a fall of a false dichotomy. There we go. False dichotomy. I was yeah. like, you something like, no, false dichotomy. But ultimately, if we don't know why we believe what we believe, then we don't know why we're doing what we're doing. You know, so yeah. we are talking about what Christ has done and that we are then loving our neighbors for the sake of what he has done for us. Um, it ends up shaping everything about us. So I, I didn't grow up Lutheran. I didn't grow up uh, knowing what Lutheranism was, what the Book of Concord was or anything. And when I came to the Lutheran Church, I thought it was really uh, stringent saying, yeah, here's what we believe. Like, there's no flexibility. Here's the answers, you know, and yeah. let's talk about how we got there. And then as I dug in, I'm like, well, yeah, this is what Christians believe. Like, this is being pulled from Scripture that here's what we believe and just laying it out, laying our cards on the table and saying, yep, 
Here's what we believe. Here's why we believe it. Do you believe what I believe? Great. If not, why not? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Great. Then you're a Lutheran. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, I, and uh, we have conversations with people all the time uh, where people will say, it doesn't matter what you believe, just that you love people. It's like, ultimately, what you believe is still going to be in there, even if you're not being forthright about what you believe and why you believe it, you're still confessing something. And uh, so it's just being honest and saying, here's what we confess. Yeah. And, and not to mention that the, the idea of just loving people is a belief in and of itself. And so exactly. we, we don't even necessarily have to say, well, that's stupid. That's, that's not how it works. We can say, ah, yes, I believe that too. Let me tell you how I love you. I, I want to share with you what God's word says. And oh, by the way, this, this awesome book here, it happens to agree with it. And as Luther says several times in our introduction that we're going to be talking about today, explains it in plain, simple language. Uh, and I, well, I, I was going to say easy to understand, but the reality is it's not necessarily easy to understand. <laughs> uh, one, one of the unique things about the, the confessors, those who put this wonderful book together, that I can at least speaking for myself say, is I have not spent the time in study of scripture even close to the level that they have. So you're, you're dealing with individuals, Melanchthon, Luther, Chemnitz, others who have contributed to this. Actually, I think those are like the three. I can't think, I don't think there's anybody else who, who have memorized entire books of the Bible, if not the entire Bible itself, who know it so well that they can reference things off the cuff and who know the church fathers in addition to that, who have studied them so well and who know it. And so with given that vast, huge knowledge that they are drawing from, they can distill it down into the most simple explanation because they've got all of this. And so as we started this conversation, teaching you to think like a confessor, part of that is recognizing this is what they're dealing with is all this, this massive amount of knowledge. If you're listening on the podcast right now, because we're hoping to do a podcast version, I'm holding my hands up like in a really wide, <laughs> like this is large. Uh, I have to remember, this isn't going to be only video. Uh, so, so they're dealing with this, this massive amount of information where they have done the hard work, the, the meditatio, which in Luther's mind includes memorizing scripture. Meditatio uh, means meditation. In oh, yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, aren't the pastors the one who are supposed to use the, the Latin big words? Oops. Um, but his, his version of meditation wasn't just, I'm going to think about this Bible verse and sit here in silence and, and just think about this passage. No, he actually talked about memorize, memorize, memorize. And in order to actually understand a passage, you had to have it memorized by heart in the context, in the book. I mean, he talks about this in his writings. I don't know if we're going to get to that in the large catechism, but I, my entire point in bringing this up is to recognize this is what they were doing when they then took that and put it into the book of Concord. And so we are going to do our best on this show in crucial conversations to help walk you through some of that with, with as we have discovered this for ourselves, as we have learned it and taught it, particularly our pastors. Um, I'm actually here to facilitate a conversation, so I'm going to stop talking now. So <laughs> I'm here to uh, help keep things moving, but our pastors uh, who will be rotating from various weeks, we've got uh, a nice lineup of various pastors who will be offering their insight into this. And so today... We got Pastor Merritt and Pastor Peter, and thank you guys for joining us. I'm going to hand it over to you as we head into the preface and the shorter preface. One thing we are not going to do, sorry, one more show note. We are not going to be reading the full text that we're studying on the air here. Uh, we have already done that throughout the week as part of our reading plan in the Grokmoot. So if you want to join us on that, please join us there. Do the reading beforehand and join this show having done the reading already, and we'll go from there. All right, handing it over to you guys. One more show note, though, kind of, Peter, reacting to what you said before. Uh, yeah. We're not trying to do exactly the same thing. Uh, well, sorry, let me back up. Beep, beep, beep. Uh, we want to uh, – don't get freaked out if you hear M Luther and Chemnitz and Melanchthon, and these guys were confessors. Don't think, oh, wait, they're on, like, another spiritual plane, and I'm just down here, and I'm not going to be able to uh, do what they do. Uh, theology is the study and words about God. 
And so everybody who reads the Bible, everybody who confesses the Christian faith is a theologian. Everyone who talks about God's wonderful work for us in Jesus Christ is a confessor. What is it you're confessing? That's what we're going to be talking about. And so we're going to talk about how we do that, not in a in a methods kind of a way, but in a patterns kind of a way. But don't be freaked out when you hear about confessors like Luther and Chemnitz and Melanchthon, because guys like Dembski and Slayton and Ill were confessors too, as are, well, everybody who reads the Bible and who talks about it. And so welcome to being a confessor if you've never thought of yourself that way. All right. Thank you. So let's let's get going into the preface, and I'm going to leave it up to you guys to decide who wants to uh, begin the discussion there with what Martin Luther is is doing and how he introduces his large catechism. Um, with the small catechism, you get the, that little introduction of, this is terrible, I'm going to visit people and no one knows anything about the Christian faith, right? And then we get to the large catechism and um, a bit more of the the deeper teachings you have you have you know scripture and then you've got the summary of scripture in the book of concord and then you got the summary of the summary in the you know the catechisms essentially and uh this opening is so very convicting or should be convicting right that that uh we don't spend enough time being able to articulate the hope we have or why we have it um or what is sin or you know all those kind of things um the fact that uh he encourages us to daily exercise in the the catechism and holy scripture so that we can teach others uh, i always think it's interesting when people offer um straight out evangelism classes like we're going to tell you how to tell people about jesus by all means we should learn how to tell people about jesus and we should have uh some apologetics knowledge to be able to you know at least have some answers to questions people might have and those kind of things but ultimately our ability to tell someone the gospel is to know it in the first place and to be able to articulate it ourselves so this opening uh encouragement to pastors that they uh, be more focused on their teaching than just uh, their bellies, as he talks about, you know, that um, we should be able and uh, diving deep into scripture. I know growing up in high school, we had a, uh, I went to a, a non-denom Christian school and they had a discipleship program and you had time each week with a specific uh, teacher and, you know, just to be formed and all that kind of stuff. And one thing he said one time was, think about the fact, how long do you spend in scripture and uh, think about how much time you spend watching TV or those kind of things. And it's like, wow, yeah, I really, uh, I don't spend nearly enough time, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. always an easy one to get people with, isn't it? Exactly. We and I mean, all fail on that one. Yeah, and I, I know I feel convicted when I can articulate better the, uh, the family line of the Skywalkers than I can of King David, you know? I know Pastor Ill just got a weird look. Who? Star Wars. Star Wars. Oh, oh that, that's Star the one that live long and prosper one, right? I got, I, got, I got some up. Whoa, no, he did not just do that. <laughs> We're going to have a geek. This is going to turn into a geek war. Oh, no. <laughs> but that, that idea that we should be in Scripture and we should be in those confessions, and he emphasizes so many times that, as, as much as we think we know it and we, oh, that's just kids stuff, that we should be in it every day and, and gleaning from it every day. Um, I guess that's my kind of intro to this kind of content. The other thing that I want to talk about with the large catechism is, so there's the smaller catechism and there's the larger catechism. And when we start to talk about that, there's this common idea that gets told a lot. Uh, that the small catechism is for parents uh, to help teach their children the truth of the Christian faith. That's true. But then there's this uh, other stigma that the large catechism is for pastors and that it doesn't have anything to do with uh, Joe and Jill Christian or Joe and Jill Lutheran or Joe and Jill anybody, that it's, it's a pastor's book. That's not the case. 
as we read through the catechism, we see Luther saying, no, no, this is for everybody. It's especially for pastors who like don't know the creed and stuff. They should know that. And so here's kind of the cliff notes of getting them up to speed. But this is an everybody book. And it's not just an everybody book, but it's an everybody pattern of thinking of how do we confess the Christian faith? Because sometimes when we go out into our broader Christian circles, we find all kinds of conversations about the Christian faith that don't sound a lot like the catechism. Our goal is we want to talk like the catechism, not because we're slavishly bound to it and not because we simply memorize the catechism and regurgitate it. And not because it's the only way to talk about it and every other way is wrong. Right. But because this this is our pattern. This is our common confession and the way we talk about the truth. And so that's what we're trying to do here. And so this is an everybody book. Please don't think, oh, the large catechism, that's a pastor's book. Here's Peter Slayton, who, you know, works for a church body in his day job and who and who gets pastors on and they're having this kind of internal conversation. No, 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 (laughs) no. We are having a conversation for everybody. This is for all Christians, for everybody who knows Jesus as their Savior and wants to talk about him. And so we start with this presupposition that this is for everybody. And as we read this, this is one of the things that Pastor Merritt did a really good job of talking about. This is really convicting. When we read through here and we hear about the the pastors and the bishops and all the other folks who think that they know everything and they don't need to do anything else because we're part of the Lutheran Reformation. Huzzah! Um, (laughs) No, there's always something more to learn. There's always something more to engage with. And so we keep learning, we keep thinking, we keep speaking the truth about Jesus. Uh, and one of the paragraphs here, I know we're not going to read this whole thing, but uh, paragraph two in the, the preface uh, says, they, that is the pastors and the bishops, have now have everything they are to preach and teach placed before them abundantly, clearly and easy in so many helpful books. Just like Pastor Merritt has all those awesome books behind him, uh, there's lots and lots of books for pastors to use. Oh, that's just a backdrop. <laughs> oh, that's just a backdrop. <laughs> those Never are just mind. props. They're props. Oh, okay. <laughs> but, just... then, but then it goes on. These truly are sermons that preach themselves. Sleep soundly, be prepared, and thesaurus, as they used to be called. Yet, these preachers are not even godly and honest enough to buy these books, or even when they have them, to look at them and read them. Oh, they are completely shameful gluttons and servants of their own bellies. They are more fit to be swine herds and dog tenders than caretakers of souls and pastors. Luther's a little cranky. Yeah. Well, yeah. Welcome to Luther. He, yes. he just he. Nobody has to wonder what he really thought. In other words, uh, as tempting as it is for us to say, "Oh, you can go get this book and that book, and you can read this and you can read that." No, no, no. That's not the point at all. Instead, it is here are the Christian basics: the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, baptism, absolution that goes with baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And when you talk about those things, that is the pattern of the Christian life. And from there comes the rest of the Christian life. And so we keep going. We don't stop. But so often we think about these these titles that Luther uses. Uh, Sermons that preach themselves. Sleep soundly. Be prepared. How often does this sound like general Christian conversation today when people say, all of the cliches and the truisms about the Christian faith. Uh, You have the fully rely on God idea. You have God helps those who help themselves. And we have all these cute little truisms. But when we rely on the truisms, we leave behind the truth of Christ and the truth of Scripture. And that's a bad, bad deal. Yeah. And piggybacking on what you just said, 
when we look further in at that uh, 15th paragraph, he, he says, Oh, what mad senseless fools are we? While we must ever live and dwell among such mighty enemies as the devils, we still despise our weapons and defense, and we are too lazy to look at or think of them. And I think about that fact. I mean, we talk about this with baptism all the time, that so oftentimes people will um, be baptized or, or baptize a child, but then not teach them the Christian faith. And it's like, this, this is, these are our weapons. Who is Christ? What has he done for us? And then you get to um, hear sermons uh, at various places that focus on this life and the hope and peace that if you're a Christian, then your life's going to be great and you're going to make money. And that's how you know you've got faith. You know, like, it's like, that's not the Christian hope at all. That's not the peace we have. And so when we are not digging into what we believe, and I know there was, um, uh, I think it's in Law and Gospel or something. Walter talks about uh, if we, how does he say it? Uh, Christians want to dig deeper. You know, Christians want to dig deeper. Is it just funny because I'm forgetting everything again? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So now I get to say, you swineherd who have all those books behind you. It's like you haven't read them. Oh, no. no. I've got it exactly marked. I just didn't think you wanted me to leave the camera angle to go grab it and read it exactly. <laughs> I wanted to make sure I said it right. But his point was, you don't want just the basics. You want to dig in. You want to understand what you're talking about. You want to understand what you're saying. And so the fact that we, uh, we far too often are too busy with the rest of this world, and that's something I talked to our confirmation students about this year when we did our kind of uh, uh, pre-confirmation discussion thing. Um, the question, can't, it's something that we do here. Um, and well, it's true. It's, it's something we do. Um, uh, we talk to the students and all that kind of stuff. And the, um, one of the things that was talked about was temptations and uh, temptations that we face in life. And one of the things that no one ever brings up is the temptation to be distracted from God's word, just in general, to be so over busied and so um, involved in everything all the time that there's no time to have morning devotions or to stop and pray in the afternoon or to wait before bed and, and uh, either read God's word or pray or something, you know, but to uh, be able to see the layout of our teachings in this large catechism encourages us that we should be making that time and taking that time to dig in. Yeah. So we got in, in the section you read there, paragraph 15 in, in the preface, there is a, a parenthetical reference there to 2 Corinthians 10.4. And I'm going to read this one as an example. And then I have a question for you guys after this, um, where Luther says, we still despise our weapons and defense. And then there, there's a reference to 2 Corinthians 10.14. Now it's in brackets. And I believe, you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but if it's in brackets, that's an editor has placed that in later because Luther didn't actually put that in his original. Now, is that, is that correct? Right. Um, I have a couple of things to say about that. In the Grokmoot earlier this week, we did get a question about this, about uh, the, the citations. You know, are they, did Luther put those there or did an editor put those in there? And when we talk about Luther and Melanchthon and Chemnitz and the other church fathers, these guys oozed scripture and they quoted the Bible without thinking about it. And so they just started talking like the Bible did. And Luther does that here. And so when the editors who put together this particular volume of the Lutheran Confessions, they say, oh, he's quoting scripture. So they put it in quotation marks and they put brackets in. The brackets mean it's an addition uh, that the editor makes and they put it in there. Also, other times we'll be reading along in the large catechism or in other confessional writings. And we'll see, uh, as it says in Romans chapter six, and then it'll have brackets around the colon, you know, three and four. Um, that's because Luther and Melanchthon and Chemnitz and all these other folks didn't have verse numbers. Verse numbers didn't roll around until 1611, give or take. And uh, so we added those in because we want to know what part of the chapter to look at. Luther just assumes you know the whole chapter because he does. It's not a bad way to think, but we tend to think in chapters and verses. So we drop the verse numbers in there too, just to help us out and give us a reference point. 
And we also, we also, when we talk about this stuff, we're so used to hearing people just throw out a single verse apart from any context. And then the verse is twisted to mean whatever the person wants it to mean. And so it's helpful to remember that even though we get the specific verses and or sorry, sometimes specific chapter, sometimes specific chapter and verse in the editions, it's helpful to read that context to see that the, the broader context of what's being said. So for example, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, um, I'll just read a little bit of that that surrounds that. The verse itself is, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. That's out of the ESV. And if you look at what Paul is saying, he says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. And then we get to that verse. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your, disobe when your obedience is complete. So you've got this uh, one single reference that is included here um, that we still despise our weapons and defense. Well, what are our weapons and defense? It's God's word. It's that is what destroys um, the strongholds of divine power. Am I saying something weird? I can't quite see. Listen, and, no, and notice his, his accusation is that we're too lazy to even look at them or think of them. And mm -hmm. this, is, this is a great place for us. I'm glad this is one of the first places we have gotten into scripture because that, that's exactly what we are trying to do here is not be too lazy. Um, so we have this section here. There are a couple places where, where the editors have very kindly given us the parenthetical reference of where, where this is coming from. But as we go through the large catechism, there are some places where it's less clear. So if we turn over to page uh, 356, I'm going to jump to the short preface. And in paragraph two, the first line of paragraphs two, it says, it teaches what every Christian must know. And then, it, you know, talking about the catechism, and then it lists the three parts. Okay. That is a very bold statement for Luther to make. And oh, of course, my question, my iPad turned off here, but Marianne actually had a question in the Grokmoot about this. So it says, for in these three parts, everything that we have in the scriptures is included in short, plain, and simple terms. Her, her basic question is, okay, where, where did this come from? Is this something that has always been taught? Where is Luther getting this from scripture? And so there are some places here in the large catechism where it's a paragraph or a sentence. Oh yeah, that, that is a direct quote of scripture. But then he makes this broad general sweeping statement in this case about these three parts that every Christian must know. How, walk us through how he gets there. Um, but both of you, you know, talk, talk a little bit about how he does that. And this may frame the rest of our next three months of study. So <laughs> Yay for church history nerd time! Woo! Um, the Ten Commandments and the Lord's Prayer are given us in Scripture. They're there in the Bible. The Apostles' Creed isn't given in a book of the Bible. It's not, uh, I can't cite where the Apostles' Creed shows up in Scripture, but it is thoroughly and deeply biblical. It says what the Bible says. It is a confession and a the beginning of a conversation about who God the Father is, who the Son Jesus is, and what he did, and who the Holy Spirit is, and ultimately why we care. Um, and so all of these are, are thoroughly biblical. Um, and they had been used in the church. They were called Enchiridians before, and various theologians and fathers all had their Enchiridia, uh, Luther wrote his shortly before Luther put together his um, uh, Enchiridion or his catechism, same thing, uh, Erasmus of Rotterdam put his together about uh, at about the same time, uh, but also going all the way back to Jerome about a thousand years before that, he had prepared an Enchiridion. And these kind of pamphlets and everything a Christian needs to know were going out and about. And they commonly contained the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed, and the Lord's Prayer. 
they weren't always put in that order. And Luther kind of reordered them. It was common for the creed to come first and then the commandments. Uh, but not everybody's enough of a, as much of a nerd as I am and cares as deeply as I do about why the order is important, except for this reason. Here in our conversation, the whole arc of the catechism is set up in such a way so that first you hear who God is and what he expects of you. Uh, you shall have no other gods before me, the Lord your God. And here's what I am calling you to do in my holiness. And you haven't done it. There is God's law. And then you have God's answer. What have I done about your sinfulness? God says, I sent my only beloved son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, to suffer and to die under Pontius Pilate. And he rose and he ascended into heaven and he's coming back. And here's the work of the Holy Spirit among you. And the Holy Spirit and Jesus teach you to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so it is the Christian life of realizing how bad of a sinner you are, how broken by sin that you happen to be, and then what God has done for you and how you continue in this Christian life with God's help uh, as you are taught to pray by God. You don't even have to make up your own prayers because Jesus gave you a prayer and prays it with you because Jesus teaches us to pray our Father, but that's for a podcast and a video cast like months in the future. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah. Well, I know uh, you said it was a pretty bold statement to say it teaches what every Christian must know. And coming from the background that I came from, I, uh, I went to Concordia, Chicago, not knowing it was Lutheran or anything. I started as a music major and had a director that said, hey, why don't you come here? And I was like, okay, <laughs> you know. And then I took a Faith of the Christian Church class and they drop a book of Concord in front of me. And I'm like, how dare you? What, what you is this? this? Is the Lutheran Church, you know, like this is what the Lutherans believe, not what Christians believe, you know. And uh, I would argue that the way many people, not all people, of course, but many people grow up um, that you've got the book of Acts and then the late 1800s, early 1900s. And there's yeah. some stuff that maybe happened in the middle, but we don't talk about that because it was bad stuff, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, <and laughs> the, so it was all the dark in, ages. Yeah. And when you get into all that and you start seeing where there was splits off from uh, right scriptural Christian teaching, you know, you start seeing um, uh, who got back on track when they were like, hey, look at what scripture says. That's that's not what's right, what you're teaching over here, you know. And so when you dig into uh, what they're talking about in the large catechism, it's like, what's... Uh, it, this is just the basics. I'm a poor, miserable sinner. Here's what I believe, and here's how I talk to the God who loves me and is merciful to me and sent his own son. So, All right. So we, we had another question towards the end of that section after Luther goes through. Here's, here's the first, the second, and the third. Over in paragraph 20, we have some more of the parenthetical proof text being used. Um, and David had said in, in the Grokmoot once again, Paragraph 20 references two scriptures, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. Uh, those of you who know that one, that would be the Great Commission passage, as it's most commonly known. And Mark 16, 15 through 16. Coming out of charismania, uh, charismatic Pentecostal churches, for those who aren't familiar with all of our terminology, uh, that's often, sometimes how it's referred to. I found I've had to deal with verses that were so twisted by false teachers that I tend to get triggered when reading or hearing them. Uh, the passage in Mark is one of them. Most evangelicals like to ignore Mark 16, 15, which is the repent and be baptized. And while the Pentecostal charismatics camps will reference 16, 16 as proof for all sorts of things. And that's the verse that talks about snakes. Yeah, snake Oh, it'll bite you and you'll be fine and you won't die and all that kind of stuff. So he, he didn't really have a particular question, but the question I have for you guys is different traditions will handle these things differently. And we are very clearly going to talk about a particular tradition here and how we handle scripture. But we, we are not so ignorant as to assume that other, other traditions within Christianity are not legitimately reading the exact same text and yet coming up with something completely different. Uh, we are reading the same Bible 
it's the same text, it's the same words on the page, and yet we're saying it means this, and they're saying, no, it clearly means this. How do, how, how do we work through that, and how will we be working through that as we go through our large catechism study here? These passages from Matthew 28 and from Mark 16 say essentially the same thing. They're parallel texts, and so we don't have any problem with, with them. Uh, so here's, here's kind of the, the historical backstory. Uh, in Martin Luther's Bible, uh, the book of Mark went through chapter 16 all the way to verse 20. Cool. But uh, since, you know, 1546 when Luther died, we've been doing some research and we've been learning some things. And we've found early editions and copies of the Bible that don't have uh, anything beyond Mark 16 verse 8. Um, a lot of folks think, and I happen to be one of them, that Mark stopped his gospel after verse 8, and somebody said, wait, that can't be the end of the of Mark's gospel. We got to hear the rest of the story about how Jesus rose from the dead and appeared to the women. We just have the women going to the empty tomb, and they run away because they're afraid. Uh, and I think, uh, check with your own pastor, but I happen to think that here is a place where a scribe filled in the rest of the story. Um, and for the most part, did it in a way that is consistent with the rest of scripture. But when I talk about Mark 16 verses 9 through 20, I don't treat it as the inspired word of God. But I look at it and I say, what of this is consistent with the rest of scripture? Um, for the passage that says, uh, that baptism, uh, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. Uh, that is consistent with all kinds of scripture, including Acts 2, Matthew 28, Titus 3, and lots of other places too. Um, we have no problem with that. We don't see any other place in scripture, though, where Mark 16, verse 16 is really affirmed, other than that one time that Paul got bitten by a snake that the folks on the island thought was poisonous, and he shook it back into the fire and he didn't die. Uh, and that's, that's the closest we've got to snake handling in the New Testament. Uh, so as we read this, we simply say, do we doubt the truthfulness of what the confessors are saying and what Mark 16, uh, 15 says? No, not at all, because it's consistent and we have no doubts about Matthew's gospel and its inspiration. Even if we do have a couple of questions about the end of Mark, we say, okay, where the end of Mark, those verses 9 through 20 in chapter 16 are consistent with the rest of scripture, we are absolutely on board with it and completely and totally comfortable. And so that, that's that. <laughs> now, now, what you've brought up here is, is commonly well, academically, I should say, referred to as textual criticism. And I know a lot of people just hearing you say, we're comfortable, or you're comfortable, or Lutherans are comfortable, and saying, well, maybe that's not inspired. That can set off huge alarm bells for some people. So Pastor Dembski, how, how, how would you address those concerns for somebody who may be listening to this coming from a background where this kinds of thing is simply not discussed. How, how would you help walk somebody through kind of what Pastor Earl just said and say, look, he's not a heretic. Here's why. <laughs> right. Um, I'm trying to think, because some of what Pastor Earl already said is some of how I'd articulate it, you know. Yeah. Um, so when I've talked about baptism with people, and especially if they've, if they've got the chops to know that there's questions about the end of Mark, I won't start there, you know, because I know that they'll say, well, you just throw that out if they're, if they are of the sort that would, you know, be on the same page as saying, well, we're not quite sure about that text. I mean, when people, uh, I guess the other side of it is how do we evaluate texts, right? I mean, that's gotta be a big question. There are people that, uh, uh, you know, we've got Dr. Cloa, who was a professor at uh, Concordia in St. Louis, um, who does a lot with the uh, textual studies and looking at the originals and like, or what we have, you know, uh, that's not been lost through time or you know, like those kind of things. Um, and when you are studying those things, if you've got 
a couple of different versions, you got to have a way of discussing uh, what you're going to go with. You know, and even when you look at the Greek New Testament, you can see some of the um, the textual variants, you know, like that kind of stuff. Uh, I might have just dug a much deeper hole. <laughs> by saying that. You know, but when when you're digging in, if you're going to dig into Greek and you get a Greek New Testament like Nestle Allen or something, you see there's textual variants like there are things that might be varied. And yet the variations aren't like and Jesus said versus and Peter said, you know, or something like that. Or and Jesus didn't really die or you know, like the, yeah. that is very, very big thing. But um, you've got to have some sort of way of evaluating what we are going to look at um, as uh, as inspired. And if there's any kind of question, then I'm not going to immediately start there. You know, I mean, Luther did because there was no question in his day. And it's not a matter of just um, throwing it out, you know, outright. But as Pastor Ill said, looking at it and saying, where is this? corroborated in the rest of scripture where is this also supported in the rest of scripture so like i start with uh, that first peter three passage all the time uh, baptism which corresponds to this talking about the flood now saves you you know and so i will i'll dig into that a lot of times um for that starting point am i saying anything dramatically wrong with that pastor ill nope we're saying okay. the same thing just using different words yeah that's what i figured it's, it sounds like if, if there's interest, those of you who are listening or watching, let us know. There, there might be some usefulness in having some uh, either either Pastor Dembski and Pastor Ilbeck on talking about textual criticism and that sort of thing. Because it, it can be fair, fairly complicated and complex and really very, very scary, um, especially if you come from an evangelical background like I do, where the, the idea of the, the the very idea of this can be can be very difficult to deal with. So I, I wanted you guys to go into that just a little bit because I don't want people to run away scared with like, oh, what are you saying? But yeah, run away, run away. <laughs> and there's a major discussion to be had there because when we start talking about that, people automatically get the idea that you're going to go down the road that many have gone down. It's like, oh well, Isaiah isn't written by Isaiah. It's six different people because who could have known the future, you know, and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, you, no, people assume that we're trying to find ways to throw out parts of the Bible. That's not what we're doing. Right. It's it's one of those things, if you're looking and all of a sudden, after a certain date, you start getting these manuscripts that have this ending on it. It's like, well, did we lose a whole bunch beforehand? Or, you know, like, how do we, how do we handle this? Did we this? add some margin notes, maybe? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and I was going to say, uh, in terms of dealing with these passages themselves and talking with someone else, um, one of the big things is that context again you know um as pastor ill talked about if you're looking at matthew and uh you talk about you know as you are going make disciples baptizing them in the name of the father son holy spirit how are you making disciples you're baptizing them what why is pastor ill laughing i can only see a little i'm sorry <laughs> i'm laughing because i'm watching the comment stream david we we got the textual criticism thing we're we're on it <laughs> this um, is also, as I'm watching the comment stream, uh, I have a correction to make to something I said. The snake handling stuff is in Mark 16, 17, not 16, uh, 16. I apologize for my error. I think I fed oh. you the wrong reference there, too. So that's partially my fault. <laughs> yeah. And so, I mean, some of that's context. Because uh, part of what you asked starting this question was a matter of um, how do we, with all these different traditions, try to figure out who is correct. You know, if everyone's using scripture and everyone's saying different stuff and the more you dig into the context on these things, um, the, and the history, you know, cause theology doesn't happen in a vacuum. It's not like a whole yeah. bunch of guys sitting there and they're like, um, baptism now saves run with it. You know? <laughs> that sounds good to me. Let's, let's try that for a while. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was, there was a reason you can look at how the church understood what had happened through time and it's, uh, and yeah. So, <laughs> so talking about, talking about our hermeneutic, we've got about 10, 15 Whoa, whoa, whoa. Minutes. What's whoa. that word? Hermeneutic, how we interpret scripture, how we oh. understand scripture. Yes. Thank you. You're breaking up. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, here's the layman using the big words again. Sorry. Uh, 
when we talk about how we understand it, we got about 10 or 15 minutes left here. And let's, let's spend the rest of the time kind of giving an introduction to the first commandment. And if the preface makes an entrance into that as, as helpful context, that's great too. But one of the things that you will hear Lutherans say all the time, hopefully, hopefully they will say this all the time, is all theology is Christology. All Everything, it's all about Jesus. Everything we do is about Jesus Christ. Christology, another big word, study of Jesus, of Christ himself. And as we're moving into the first commandment, if everything we're talking about is about Jesus, walk us through that, pastors. How how do we see Jesus in, in this first commandment? How do we see Jesus, you know, in, in the preface, we've talked about it a little bit, but let's let's get to the meat, and that is Christ himself. Uh Jesus is God in the flesh, right? I mean, that would be yes, yes, that is right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it when a pastor starts a conversation uh, about Christology and goes, "Jesus is God in the flesh," right? It, well, that's, <laughs> that's something to just like <laughs> make your make your heart go cold. <laughs> I was sitting there and I said it, and you both were so like emotionless. I'm like, did I say something weird? I mean, we're we were just going to let you talk. <laughs> That was good. Run with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's immediately what we see. I mean, um, Luther starts this by talking about a God being anything that we're going to trust in, anything we're going to fear, love, or trust in more than the one true God. And so if we are going to fear anything more than God, that's our God already. Um, and I just had a conversation with someone today that uh, nowadays I would, we don't, you know, typically, I, I don't know, but typically we don't end up bowing down to some sort of golden uh, idol that is given at some sort of big award show. Oh, no, that's the Oscars. No, but no, we, uh, <laughs> we don't bow down to big golden idols generally, right? Or big golden calves, but we do fear things. We fear uh, so many things more than we fear God. And a conversation I had today is I think we far too oftentimes trust our feelings and our gut more than the one true God. So we end up uh, getting rid of what doesn't feel right to us. You know, we, we go with our gut on how we should handle a situation rather than looking at God's word, looking at what points us to Christ and for our salvation. And so when he starts off here talking about these two things belonging together, faith and God, and that our trust is to truly be in the one true God, we as Christians look at scripture as a whole and see that Christ is the one true God in human flesh. And so he uh, is God's only son sent to us, come to save us. And we trust in him for that salvation. We trust in him for that forgiveness of sins. And so um, I would say that that's probably uh, where we would start with how does this point us to Christ? And to run with one of Luther's big assertions here, uh, as he puts faith and God together, uh, you'll notice that Luther just assumes that everybody knows that when you believe, when you live, you believe in something. In my grammar nerd moment for the evening, I'm so excited we got this far. Um, the word to believe is, is what a grammarian would call a transitive verb. It has to have a direct object. Uh, it has to refer to something. You believe in something. And in our Western culture, and especially in our current American culture, we talk a lot about belief. And there are other periods in church history where we hear people say, well, I believe. Um, it reminds me of one of my favorite scenes from one of my favorite books when uh, this young pastoral intern goes out and he's talking to his supervisor and he says, yeah, that book, uh, The Hammer of God that Pastor Dembski's holding up. Um, <laughs> I don't have a page number for you, but the pastoral intern goes out and he tells, uh, he tells his older supervisor who does things like smokes a pipe and uh, drinks a little bit of cognac. He says, well, sir, I want you to know that I'm a believer. And the supervisor kind of looks at him and says, okay, but what do you believe in? And the, the young man, the pastoral intern was flummoxed. He didn't have a good answer. He said, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just a believer, you know? <laughs> uh, but how often does our culture today simply say, but I'm a believer. I'm a believer in the enduring human spirit. 
I'm a believer that good will triumph over evil. I'm a believer that with enough hard work, you can, you can do things. Um, and so we want to make this big point that we believe, but we don't talk a lot about what it is that we believe in. But if we're not talking about what we believe in, then the whole conversation is pointless and fruitless. Uh, like we were saying before, this is about having the right conversations about the right faith and the right truth. And so we're, we're quick to say, oh, okay. And that brings us to um, a scripture passage, one that Luther doesn't cite, but I'm going to argue he just presupposes it uh, from Hebrews, where he says, uh, and this is Hebrews 11.1, 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Uh, but faith is always in something. And so in the first commandment, you shall have no other gods, is the same thing as God saying, believe in me. Don't believe in yourself. Don't believe in the goodness of the human mind or the human nature. Don't believe in hard work. Believe ultimately in me. Because in me, everything lives and moves and has its being. That's another Bible verse that Luther also doesn't quote. But that's exactly what it's about, is that our faith is in God. And not just in God in general, but in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, especially as we have come to know our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the image of the invisible Father, Colossians 1 kind of stuff, and who is the one who has come among us so that we would know him and recognize him. Like Jesus says, you who have seen me have seen the Father, because the Father and I are one. And so we look to Jesus, and Jesus teaches us everything we need to know about all three persons of the Trinity. Sorry, that was an awful lot of words and Bible already. That was, that was fantastic. Uh, Pastor Merritt, do you have any verses that come to mind as, as you're thinking through this first commandment of the introduction here to anything you want to share with us there? Offhand, I can't think of anything to add that Pastor Ill hadn't said. I know that doesn't help. When <laughs> hey, that's the way it goes when I throw you something out of nowhere. So that's, you know, that's that's part of my own, my own fault there. Um, yeah. Now, now, I notice Luther doesn't reference you shall have no other gods, like where this actually comes from. I, I know most of us, we are actually familiar with Exodus and Deuteronomy and where that comes from, but it, I'm just kind of, I'm almost flummoxed that the editors didn't put that in or that, you know, obviously Luther cites almost nothing. Do you guys have anything to say about, okay, why don't, if the basic tenet of this is to show where this comes from in scripture, why didn't they list the most basic reference of where can I find this first commandment? You can find the first commandment in two places. First, in Exodus chapter 20, and also in Deuteronomy chapter um, something. Uh, I think it's six. Six comes it, to mind, but six? I don't know for sure. I could be wrong. No, Deuteronomy six is the Shema. Uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Oh, okay. um, it's in Deuteronomy uh, and I wish I could remember where, because the law is given first from Mount Sinai in Exodus 20, and then they go hang out in the wilderness for 40 years, and they give the law again. Deuteronomy means second law, uh, when you take the, the Greek words. Deutero means second, nomos means law, and so it's the re-giving of the law to the children of the people who died in the desert. Uh, and so we get the Ten Commandments twice. They're almost verbatim. Uh, couple of stylistic changes in or uh, in in a couple of order things uh, don't worry about it too much we'll, we'll pick that up when we get to the end chapter five okay All right, I was close <laughs> um, oh were you at were you done there talking okay yeah um so let me see our I think that's 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 a great introduction. You guys have any have any final thoughts on the introduction to the first commandment there before we wrap up here? Any any final things you want to share? Just that it's a a great um, reminder that all of this all of the commandments point us back to this first commandment. All of it will end up pointing us to this that uh, anything that we're doing that is sinning is putting something ahead of God. So we're not yeah. here trusting or loving God above all things when we are breaking these other commandments. So that's all, all right. right.
Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Pastor Pastor Merritt, Pastor Peter, for joining us today. It's been fantastic talking with you. We will have, I believe, Pastor Ill, you are here again next week, and we're going to have another pastor joining you. I don't remember who that is. Thank you, those of us, those of you <laughs> who are watching. Uh, for the first time, this is, this is our inaugural episode. Um, we hope you will continue to join us as we work our way through this, as we figure out what we're doing here and kind of settling into our groove for crucial conversations. Thank you for joining us on this journey once again. If you are not in the Grok Moot, you're finding this in some other way. You, a friend shared it. The conversations about the readings happen every day in the Grok Moot. That is on Facebook. Uh, that is facebook.com slash group slash the Grokmoot. You can find the link down in the description below. Uh, it's easier if you can't figure out how to spell it and all that kind of stuff. So we hope you join us there for discussions throughout the week. And we also talk about all sorts of other topics and conversations. Uh, Pastor Hill and Pastor Devsky are two of the pastors who are also in that group there and available to answer your questions and help you work through any and every theological issue that you have or questions that you have. Now, we, they are not your pastors. The pastors there are not your pastors, but they are there to help you out. We always recommend in any situation that you talk to your pastor first, that you have any questions, talk to him first because he loves hearing from you. That's why he is there. That's why God has placed him there. So even as you are getting excited, if you are, about what we're doing here, let your pastor know, and, and maybe he can be encouraged in that as well. Uh, but we are not we're not replacing him. We want to make sure that that, uh, that that is not the impression at all. Anyways, thank you for joining us. That's, that's the end of our show today. Next week, we will be back same time, Tuesday evening, 8 p.m. Central Time, to continue our discussion of the first commandment, move into the second commandment, the large catechism, teaching you to think like a confessor. This has been Crucial Conversations. I'm Peter Slayton, and we hope to see you next week. <laughs>